Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. Great to have you back. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Today we talk with my great friend Daniel, who's a co-owner of Hooked Fish and Chipper, which has three locations in Melbourne, amazing fish and chips. I met Daniel uh, just over three years ago when they had just bought the business and they were looking to just stabilize the operations right. So it was really great to have this in-depth conversation with him. Today we talk about his history in the hospitality industry and how he got started back in the UK in his early 20s, where he thinks fish and chips actually play a role in QSR restaurants And also, does he think the health trend is actually going to continue? Let me know what you think about this podcast. Cheers. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Great to have you back. Equally great to have back. We're not back. It's your first time. It's my first time. Daniel uh, from Hooked Fish and Chipper. Uh, Great to have you on the program, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Now, um, you obviously are the owner of um, Hooked Fish and Chipper, so we've got three locations in, in Melbourne. Um, Hawthorne, Windsor, and Fitzroy. Um, but how did you start out in the hospitality industry yourself? Uh, initially, it was my um, my trip to the UK around 23 or 24 years of age. And I think like most young Australians, I end up working in a, a pub bar environment, which I fell upon. Mm-hmm. And when I started at this certain pub in Islington, um, the bar manager was fired after about two weeks. I had two weeks experience and I was basically put in position of the manager of the pub. Right. They had a very, very, it was a beautiful pub. They had a huge dining area that used to probably do about 25 to 30 seats a week. Right. So it was, a, it was losing Pretty money, handing over fist. So I made a commitment to the owner at the stage that I would fill that restaurant. Okay. And I went and sourced a young chef who had just come out of... Uh, a very, a very good uh, training facility in the UK. Okay. And I gave him the full-time job and we both worked in the kitchen. Right. Um, mainly about the weekends. Yeah. And we managed to, within about four to six weeks, turn that thing around and get it pumping. So I learned the hard way because we uh, we did all ourselves, dishwashing. Yeah, right. There was, there was, was literally just two of us. Yeah, two right. of us. And we ended up doing you know, 200 covers a day, doing three different roasts plus the menu. Yeah, So right. it, was, it was chaotic, great fun. Yes. Um, we had the old system where you had to pull up and down the food. Yes. So yeah, you, couldn't, right. you couldn't just have the food straight out. Yeah. You were constantly screaming down this barrel to get staff to take food out. Yeah, right. You couldn't do a table of six at once. So it was it was it was complicated. It was um, it was probably a great initiation into the into the industry. Um, and you come back into Australia and everything's a lot easier. Easier. It's yeah. a lot newer. Yeah. So. So yeah, we did that, and I stayed there for three years. I ended up managing, managing three of his uh, pubs, two pubs and one bar. Right. And turned them around and had a lot of fun doing it. I drank way too much whilst <laughs> in, in the process. <laughs> so coming home was uh, a good idea at the stage because it was getting out of control. When you successfully did the first one with the other two and three that you did, were they pretty much the same problems that you faced? No, no, no. What, what the, the other two, there was one which was a smaller bar which didn't focus greatly on food yeah. and the other pub um, didn't have the same area of dining but they had the right, the, the menu was completely wrong. Right. They were doing an Asian fusion thing that didn't make oh, any God. sense. It yeah, didn't make right. sense. In a pub. It was an old school, yeah, pretty yeah, old right. school pub. So he just gave me the flexibility to go and review all the what they were doing yes the staff were great in the other venues yeah. they had the right people just in the wrong direction so right so I just told them that was not going to work that menu and we took it back to more of a what, what the UK like yes um, 
for that environment anyway, and it worked. We just went back to bangers and mash, doing it well, doing homemade pies, and doing Sunday roast of the day, and, and doing specials, which is just out of nowhere. And, and that just resonated with the, the punter that was drinking or drinking in that environment. So, right. And with the bar, we actually did do some Asian stuff, because it was a cool little funky bar, so we ended up doing, we got, we got a, a Vietnamese Chinese guy in, who was um, also studying there, and he was great. He did homemade dumplings and yeah. all sorts of stuff. So, and that really, that really worked in that environment. So right. it was a good lesson for the owners who were deep pockets, but not really experienced in the industry, nor was I. Yes. But I just had a bit of a feel for it, I guess, because it, yeah, it worked. Right. It worked. Yeah, right. Were you leaning on what you'd to change that menu and 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 get those new people in, or you know, uh, preach to the existing clientele that was there? Was that just a gut feel on? knowing what the right thing to do or were well, you looking at what was successful around you and then trying to replicate to that? To be honest, that, in my experience, that's what I should have done. Yes. But I walked into the environment and I went, this doesn't make sense. Right. An Asian fusion menu yes. on an, an old school pub with <laughs> yeah, a small yeah. room. So I didn't really need to. I just I felt that the, they were just going in the wrong direction. Sure. And I had the flexibility to change that immediately. Right. So, so I did. And, right. and we just went back to old school and immediately picked up and did well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess... The UK and London itself—it's it's all fairly. A lot of it's fairly similar to the pub world. Mm. It's a matter of doing a good pie or a shit pie. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of shit pies, and there's a lot of shit posts, and there's a lot of shit bangers and mash. So yes. people don't necessarily use the right produce. They, a lot of them, bring in frozen crap, and right. it's all—it's all—it's all based on cost of goods, not, not on the on the flavour and, and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah. we we actually sourced um, a sausage maker about an hour and a half out of London. Mm-hmm. And they were brilliant, and they weren't that expensive. They were more than you you pay from a supplier per se. Yeah. But they were they were, they were brilliant, they were, and they got it ended up becoming a thing. People knew these sausages at this place. Yeah. Cool. So we ended up using them in two, two venues, and and just focused on quality. Yeah. And so, pro- price was a little probably about 12, 15 percent above that competition. Right. So price wasn't the fact. It was literally the quality of the product that you were well, doing. Being, the consistency being, that you were doing. Yeah, but fifteen percent more didn't mean we were very expensive. It wasn't yes. crazy. Some of the pricing yes. in UK pubs are quite low. Right. So we, you know, we went to a fifteen pound price point for for a big pie and mash and per, yeah, right. Versus a seven ninety nine sometimes yes. or a nine ninety nine or yeah, and and just made sure it was bloody good. Yeah, right. And it was bloody good. They were homemade, they were chunky beef, they were, yes. and, and not brought in frozen. So yeah, right. that, that, that worked. That was worked. Different. And if it was, that didn't work, I didn't have a plan B. Yes. So I was young, inexperienced, went with my gut, and thank God it worked. Because yeah. if it just failed, I would not have known where to go at that stage of my life. I would just go, I tried. Yes. Because I didn't have the experience. I just didn't have the experience to even think about going to my neighbouring pubs and seeing what was... I didn't even think that way. I was new into the game. Yeah. Super interesting. Amazing what you learn in hindsight. Yeah, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. <laughs> so true. Um, so talk to me about Hooked. I know you guys didn't, didn't start Hooked, no. but you bought you bought Hooked as a brand. So when did you when did you purchase it? Why did you purchase it for? What made you want to get into this industry? Um, to be honest, I didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's two ways someone can take you on dare or something no or similar similar. Yes. No, there's two ways of why I get involved one, one is that I as you know I work in a family business which yes. is uh, Maxwell and Williams the homeware brand yes and working for family has its challenges and yes. especially in my father yes so I did want to have something outside of his uh, control per se right okay. uh, and also one of my partners and I were discussing for some time and doing a a, street, a Vietnamese street food truck right um, because what we'd found 
in try, trying some of them, they were pretty ordinary. Yeah. And his wife is an exceptionally good cook. Right. So she was interested in doing, you know, doing all that food. So we sort of talked about that on and off for about a year. Okay. And and it just by the time we started getting serious, we felt that it was getting beginning saturated. And I think you'll probably see now the food truck business is gonna. I mean, some are going to do really well, no yes, doubt. Yes. Thornbury's going to keep going well, but yes. as an overall model, I wouldn't want to be putting a lot of money into it. Yeah, agree. So we, and then he approached me um, at Maxwell Williams because he used our crockery at his other restaurant. Right. Um, and said, "Listen, this is up for sale. What do you think?" I knew the brand. Yes. My, my sister knew the previous owner, right? Right. Yeah. So we'd been in there a few times years ago. Yes. And I, and I liked the concept of what he did. I yes. think I think he was way ahead of his game. Yes. Um, and for him, I, I believe he just had 10 years was, you know, maybe it was enough. And he started, I think, losing a bit of the love for it all. Right. So we um, we looked at all three. We looked at the price of the business and we yep. looked at what we believe was potentially able to be done with it. And and we put in some offers and next thing you know, we um, hooked. So it happened very quickly, almost unbelievably. Did you expect it to happen? Or you sort of like, oh, let's just see how this goes. I'm ready for it if it actually does. He does say yes, but yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah, pretty much that. Yeah. it was it was exciting because yeah, it was it was our first my, my my first venture as an owner into the industry. Yes, but at the same time, you don't know what you're getting into until you get into until you're it. In it. Yeah, so it's like getting into a cold bath. You don't really know what it's like until you jump in. <laughs> so, and to be honest with you, there's been more, way more positives than negatives. It's, it's just been a lot of work, and you know, you've been mm. throughout the time I've worked with you. Yes. So, but we're happy with where, where, where we're at. Um, mm-hmm. We've got some decisions to make in the future on how we expand, how we continue to do this kind of stuff. Sure. But yeah, so we we got in virtually by accident, but I did know the brand and I liked where he was with the healthy side of things. Um, I think he was the first by a mile in regards to the fish and chip business being promoting the healthy for the lifestyle. Yeah. And and we wanted to continue that. And well, I think we have. And, and this store itself, Windsor, has seen substantial growth in the last 12 months, which is fantastic considering the nature of competition, the amount of competition and direct competition now with uh, with uh, Tommy Ruffs yes. and Huggy Dory not more than a two, two kilometres away. So to see that growth means we're doing something right and we're happy. So let's talk about that because we're sitting in probably arguably one of the most competitive one kilometre strips in Melbourne right now for restaurants. Yep. Um, other than probably, you know, uh, Flinders Lane or something like that. It's, um, it's extremely competitive for restaurants. How have, why do you think you have grown over the last 12 months, given that you've got a, you've got a brand which is now probably 12, 13 years old? 2006, yeah. So. Yeah, so... Um, I think, I mean, back to what we said before, the, the focus on getting the quality right has, yep. been, has been huge. When we first took over, yes. um, there was no doubt the quality was not where it needed to be. So, yes. like, I think three days before we officially took over, I came in here and ordered about 80 bucks for the food. Right. And went through it all, and it just wasn't. Where it wasn't right. Yeah. It wasn't where it needed to be, and I think that was reflective of what happens from the management. You know, things rot from there from the head down. Yes, and, and that was very very obvious with the staff as well. Their, their heads were down. Their, their, the the love wasn't there. The love wasn't there. So we so we brought the love back, I guess, and we bit of respect, bit of treated people right, made sure everyone was being paid correctly, that everything was yes. about, you know just made sure yeah. everything was clean. Yes, and we and we just went through all our suppliers and said, okay, what are we paying? What are we getting? Why are we doing that? What's this? What's that? And we just worked through it very, very slowly and made sure that we had the right product mm-hmm. and the right people cooking it. Yes. And we made sure the systems were back in place because I think they went 
pear shapes, yeah. Pear shaped. So, and we've got a, we've got a good model. I mean, the food is good, and we've got a great lunch specials, and that, that's been a, you know a very positive thing for us. So, but to see growth in, as you said before, in that in that uh, this strip has been it's made us all be proud. Yes, of um, course. Because we, we honestly thought, especially with Tommy's opening, we are going to just mm. lose a, a certain percentage of our customer base because yes. that's what happens. Yeah. And it hasn't happened, so... Yeah, it's great. So, yeah, we're happy. What was the... Um, so, stepping back when you bought the business with, with the partners that you had and, um, and you bought three businesses all in one hit and you're trying to run them as your first food business you bought, what was the biggest thing that was a massive surprise for you when you bought those, those businesses all together? Uh, I think you, you, you need to be full time to be able to 100% cater for that environment. We, right. For me, we we didn't know the staff, so right. we we had, we had a presumption that they could run themselves for a little bit. Yeah. And we had a plan to run them run themselves for up to six months. Right. Given us overseeing it. Yeah. But once I got my fingers involved, I realised that wasn't going to be the case and, right. it's, and it's not that easy you do need to have an ops manager of sorts yeah sure so at the moment I'm a full time international sales manager and a full time ops manager <laughs> for, for Hooked and, and um, it's a balance thing it's, it's a very big balance thing so yep. so yeah the, the biggest surprise was I mean it, it was really the logistics of it all trying to and keeping the quality the same I mean you look at the McDonald's of the world and and it's incredible yes it's incredible what they do because mm. effectively close enough the, the standards are the same where we show the world and to, to systematically that is incredible and, yeah. you, and you probably you understand and get that a lot more when you get into the industry yes how difficult it is to have you understand it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It really it's, it's it's incredible so mm. so we've worked very hard on that we're continually retraining especially through this store because it's um, our best performing store so we continually get the managers in here to work with our area manager here yep. and, and continually try and make sure their, their prep's done correctly it's the same size everything's been done correctly just we've had we have a number of customers that do visit two or if not three stores right. and I've had feedback from all of them saying this one's better than this or this right. was different than this and right. not always negative but sometimes just the differentials so we're just constantly working on trying to ensure that the, the same standards which is really important if you can have the chain and the same brand in multiple areas yeah totally agree with the quick service restaurant industry being so broad, capturing so many different products, where do you think where do you think fish and chips actually fits in QSRs at the moment? Because you've got so many burger brands, you've got Mexican coming through strong. Oh, I love um, that. I love all that. Yes, I think I think fish and chips will never die. Why do you think that is? Because it's a staple part of the Australian diet. I mean, when I was a kid, every Friday night was fish and chips. Yes, and I think that. Still is the case for many families. Yes. And even now that we're focused on the healthier version, a lot of the, I mean, I think the majority of our food is grilled. Yes. Batted. Yep. First batted, yeah. Uh, especially eating and takeaway. Ironically, Uber and delivery platforms way more are batted. Yes. So it's, it, it's, it shows you the, the crowd that it. It's yeah, interesting. It's, it's an unbelievable industry when you look at what's ordered on delivery versus eating. What's in, in, yeah, in. it's incredibly different. Yeah. So. I, I just think it's a staple diet. I think burgers are burgers. I think they're much the same, to be honest. Right. Um, they, I mean, if you do it well, you do it well. Yes. If you don't, you're dead. Yes, um, most definitely. I think that's the same everywhere. But I just think there's not going to be 
a thousand fish and chip shops are going to open. It's it's a lot. It's a lot more detailed. Menus are generally a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. You're having a burger joint, and you you do six to eight burgers. Yes. You might do some chicken wings, whatever you do. You do yep. some fries, yep. and and you specialise in that. Yeah. But you, you can see here, if you want to go into a burger joint with a menu of twenty to thirty items, mm. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think we're and we're an established brand and people that's what I love that's why one of the reasons I did buy into it is that, you know I walked around and asked me, do you know Hooks? yeah it's down there yeah down there and I, I love being involved in branded products yeah. as, as you know with my other my other job so yes. so that was another attraction but um, I, I think fish and chips will never go away what do you think what do you think maybe and I don't know because I haven't done the research into, into this part but I imagine probably in the 50s and 60s fish and chip stores are probably even more prominent and probably a bigger part of Australian society. You talked about, you know, every Friday night being fish and chip night. Now that could be just because that was culturally what everyone did or it could be something that was a nod to Catholicism or something like that. All the above. Right? So it's quite interesting. Like, why don't you think, do you think the reason why there aren't as many fish and chip venues now is just a, literally just a change in people wanting a, a different product, even though you well, guys I, I do so well. I don't know if you're correct in saying there's not the same amount of fish and chip shops. Every yes. time I go to suburbia, yes. in that little 30 metre strip, there's always fish and chip shops. <laughs> right? yeah, there's no, always good one. Point. So, good point. And I think, I think being a fish and chip shop in a prominent position like we are yep. is risky. And that's why I think Ray, who did only this before, was miles ahead of the game. Yeah. He came into Windsor in 2006 and was still a it was still known as the, it was a bad strip. the shit yeah. end of the yeah. strip. Yeah, most definitely. And we'll never, I don't believe, reach his sale performances that he did back then. Right. Again, it right. was massive. Like, he really did do huge numbers. And the, clearly the competition was way less. Yes. Uh, but, but his concept was different. And I still believe we're very different to our competition. Yes. Um, I think Hunter Dory came, came across and they went the old school look with a, with a more of a healthy feel. So they yeah, still have the fish on display, the cells on display. Yes. So there's still, to me, a suburban style fish chip shop with open and prominent areas. Um, and you look at Tommy's, who's just changed it completely and made it a restaurant fish yes. and chips. Yes. So I don't think you can just open an old school fish and chip shop in Windsor. Yes. Um, in Chapel Street. I think you need to have a point of difference. Yep. We have that point of difference. and. But as far as I know and what I see, I still see the old school fish and chip shops all over the place. Yeah. But I don't think you'll see them too often in prominent positions. Okay. Unless it's a completely different model. Yeah, right. Yeah, I understand completely. And there's not many models left. So unless you want to come and take on us or take on Tommy's or take on um, uh, Huggy Dory. There aren't many more different angles. Yeah. 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 (laughs) They're the three that are doing well at the moment. Yes. And what else can you do? Mm. Very good point. Um, As a consumer, right. so end of the day, we're always going to have a battered flake dim sim potato cake customer. We're always going to have that. Of course. This is not going to go away. Yeah. So we're always going to cater for that. Yeah. Um, we're always going to have a grilled fish, a super salad, and brown rice customer. Mm. So as a, as a fish and chip business, there's not much more scope in, in changing that. Yeah. Um, we can add sushi to our menu, some of that, of but, but that's it, but it's already there. So from, from my model and my business, I don't see, I've got some little things that I wouldn't mind trying out of the States, which are happening now, yeah. um, a particular company, and that would be it. And it's, it's a burger style idea, and it's just something that's not being done here as well as this. Yeah. Um, and so that's basically where I, where I want to go. But outside of that, 
I still think we're going to level out to have Dim Sims, Potato Cakes, number two or three sellers in, in, in the fifty-two shop. Yeah, most definitely. And grilled, grilled fish overtaking battered. Yes. Just like people coming in getting a battered Dim Sim, uh, sorry, battered flake, Dim Sim, mm-hmm. Potato Cake, chips, and a Coke Zero. <laughs> just to make sure... The Coke they, Zero is very important. Just Daniel. to make sure they feel <laughs> they're doing something right. Just something right. Now, I'm a little bit diabetic, so I, I understand that. I don't think yes. everyone else that does it is diabetic. Yes. No, I don't think they are. Yeah, be a good uh, correlation. I think it'd be interesting as your brand grows, you're not a small brand, you're, you're quite a big brand, and say so you're doing different ideas if you'll actually do completely different brands off shooting, off hooked, as I've seen a, a number of different brands doing now to sort of not lose credibility or lose their normal core customer in their core business, but do some cool things on the side and a new and fresh brand that has threads of their old brand. Yeah, well, makes as you know, I've, I've, I'm always thinking and always got ideas, yes. and it's just a matter of, unfortunately, there's only so many hours in a day. True. And if I ever did decide to come over to this side of the world and go full-time, I've got probably two or three projects I'd get underway immediately under different yes. brand names. Yeah, I understand. And especially based on the delivery service, unfortunately. Because yeah. that's, unfortunately... That's where it's going to go. It's going there, and, and we, we see it now. I mean, it, it's, it, it bothers me. Not, not only as a restaurant owner, but just as a, as a consumer too. You just go around now and you see great restaurants just with less people in it because they're happy to get it delivered at home. And I'm one of them, so I can't... Yeah. But I've got a three-year-old, so there's times where you say, well, it's possible, I can't cook, get delivery. So that is great. But yeah. what I see now is um, there's a growing demand for, for restaurant-quality food to be delivered. Yes. Consumers have no understanding of the process of being cooked, being waiting for a driver, yep. a driver taking the Mickey out the front, putting his helmet on for five minutes, yes. a driver using, for whatever reason, Uber's, uh, Uber, Uber's navigation. Maps, yeah, yes. which is just watching that is like. <laughs> I mean, there's someone's going to make a movie about it because yes. I reckon someone might get killed. They just go straight past your street. <laughs> You turn back, and, and it's just—it's funny, but it's frustrating. So, yeah, it's and the problem is, consumers yes. now, from what I see, I think now they're a bit more educated. But the beginning was a disaster. You just lose customers because the driver screwed up. Now I think they go to another restaurant and they have the same experience, and they're leveled out a bit. To this isn't necessarily the restaurant. This is the, the, the delivery platform, not not being as efficient as one would like. Yeah. But at the same time, we can't control that, and we're in a, we have a, a food that isn't perfect delivery no it doesn't hold you know it doesn't hold as well as you like so and people just go one star or five star these days there's very few it's very few great right? middle, yeah and, and yeah. people don't really think of the consequences of that yeah when if you came and sit down here the food's fantastic yes if you want a battered flake to be crunchy and, and you're 15-20 minutes from after it's being cooked it's very difficult very difficult yeah. you know so we might have to put fries on the, the delivery drivers <laughs> That's the only way I can see it working. You know, just on the way, fries. So that'll be maybe that'll be the that's way it's going. There's, there's a little finish off method in the delivery process. Yeah. So that's um, yeah. That's where I see it. Cool. Uh, Daniel, last thing: Is there anything um, anything cool that's happening at the moment that you want to tell people about? Uh, I think I think we're, we're we're focusing really a lot on some homemade as much as we can. We've got sure. some amazing homemade spree rolls, which have been on the menu for a while. And they're doing great. Yep. Um, just we're just trying to do that. Just trying to get as fresh as possible. Yeah. Um, we have got some. Um, we're doing a few fish lighters coming up, which I think are cool. fun. Yeah. Um, you've tried. I think you tried one. Yeah, you, yeah, I think you had a yes. small bite, but we're still working on it. We want to make it a bit more different than okay. you know, just a bit of fish and a bit of tartare. So yes. we yeah. are working on it, and um, just just trying to just do some 
we don't want to take away too much from a menu. We just like to turn over some new specials and, and try and... I've did research. I didn't find many out there. Uh, mainly bigger chefs doing it on, yep. on, on, uh, on, on online for, for home. So we just want to try a little different things. And, um, yeah, and just keep doing good fresh food. Awesome. Daniel, thank, thank you so much for your time. We're going to link in all the, uh, all the details for so you can visit all three locations. Go, go, go. Daniel, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the Open Pantry podcast. Um, fantastic to have Daniel's insights there about where he thinks fish and chips are going in Australia. It's uh, it's a movie part of the market, and I know that Hooked is only going to go from strength to strength. So if you're in Melbourne, make sure you check them out. Uh, they're in Windsor, Hawthorne, and Fitzroy, as we said during the podcast. Uh, Hookedfishandchipper.com.au if you want to check them out online. Just fantastic food. Also, if you want to uh, give some feedback to me, let me know what you think about this. Uh, I always love your feedback. Just email me at sean, S-H-A-U-N, at openpantryco.com. Until next time, you have yourself a great day. Yes, it doesn't work. It depends on square meter. It depends on base build works. There's right. so many variables. So accessibility. Right, yeah, Fixtures, fittings, everything. Like, it's so variable. And different council approvals yep. across the nation. Right. It's not worth Brisbane council is going to be a lot different than Melbourne council. 100%. Or an airport. Yeah, good point. All right. Let's yeah, go to yeah, yeah, you, know, you, know, you, you virtually almost double your square meterage rate. Right? Accessibility. It's all accessible. And hours, limitations of work. Basically, oh, of you course. basically get a window of four hours each night to make it. Noisy works. That's it. By the time you bring your stuff through the scanner, all your tools, your yes. escort to your site and do your work, right. there's not a, lot of t- not a lot of productivity in an airport job. I've thought of that before. There you go. But we do, we're good at it. Yeah. Fish comes from stuff at Sydney Airport, right? Sydney International. Yeah. 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 Sydney Domestic. Yeah. Okay. Brizzy Airport. Brizzy Airport. Yeah. Okay. And have you, have you only, because obviously uh, airports are different because they have one one overarching owner, don't they? And then they own all those brands. Is that how it works? Well, there's various, uh, you are correct. So right. there's various owner owners in there. So like you'll have the likes of um, uh, SSP, yes. um, Delaware North, yep. um, Catercare, mm-hmm. Emirates Leisure, mm-hmm. ARE. Mm-hmm. So, there's an entity and then they'll have several brands or they'll have their own brands that they'll go in. So they'll go in for a tender and they'll be pitching for five different sites, depending on what the asset, as in BAC or Sackle right. or Melbourne Airport want to actually come up with from mm-hmm. the parcel on a package. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, those guys there will um, fight for those um, tenders and put together the best pitch. Okay. Is, um, when people come to you with uh, different equipment um, usages and you talk about the, the flow of the kitchen and how it might work and operate and stuff like that. How do you, how do you try and understand what equipment is going to fit within those kitchens to best utilise it? Is it what's worked before in other venues? Like, it's a bit of that, but it's also understanding their operations procedure. You know? yeah. how, do they, how do they run their back of house? How do you... Menu. Yeah, how does the kitchen work? 
for yep. you to be able to produce what you want to produce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's also teaming up with like consultants as in yourself from Open Pantry to understand that whole menu design mm -hmm. and what. And I suppose it's getting the best and the most out of that piece of equipment, right? And sure. how many dishes that you can get. What do you think the volume's going to be at the restaurant? Correct, right? There's so many things to look at. And then you look at like, what is that, what is that person? And they'll be all tiered from uh, a dollar point, a service point, a warranty point. Yes. What type of equipment and range? So we can go for some um, cheap um, Chinese type of brand right yep. up to your American, American made, made mm -hmm. or Italian. Yes. You know, just in there, it, it, it's it's all varied, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it just comes down to the person, the budget, yep. where it sits, and and that's something that you collate during that ideas, scope and design and due diligence processes of, okay, this is what you're after. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's probably my experience from the commercial kitchen equipment stainless type of area sure. that we try and package it up. Mm -hmm. so, a lot of people will want to try, like who want to save a dollar, may want to uh, use second-hand equipment. Right. And nine times out of 10, it's not worth the hard by the time it's cleaned and serviced, bought into the store, yeah. people will end up with six or seven new pieces of equipment in this one old crappy piece Yes. that becomes the thorn in everyone's side because it's not working properly. It doesn't have the longevity of the newer stuff. You don't have to go and buy you know, top of the range every time, but of course, course something's going to be fit for purpose yes. and give you that sense of... Um, Reassurance, I guess, that you're not going to fall down in the kitchen at your busiest time. Of course. You know, because you've decided to spend 